to uh, look at two verses of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So if you want to turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So, uh, again, praying about uh, the direction to go for some of the messages this year. And uh, the Lord, of course, has kind of given me a direction on, uh, of course, at least on Sunday morning, kind of the direction we're going to go as far as preaching along our theme for a while, and uh, as far as victory and as far as faith. Then I got to uh, thinking about um, as far as, uh, so, you know, usually what I do on Sunday night, I'll do a series of some sort Thursday night, usually preaching through a book of the Bible or a different uh, series of truth about the Bible. Uh, tonight, though, uh, I want to start for at least a few weeks, and, and we won't be on this, uh, maybe the whole month of January, uh, or I don't know if we'll make it all the way through the month of January. But I want to talk about this, organizing your life, organizing your life. Uh, of course, we've already kind of preached some messages leading up to uh, the new year and as far as preparation for a new year. And uh, one of the things that um, you find out is that uh, especially, um, you know, the, the new year, the new beginning, uh, new opportunities, new di- uh, uh, different uh, goals, if you will. Uh, but one of the things that you're going to find out is that of uh, organization. And that's more than just, you know, your closets and your shelves, okay? Uh, there's some uh, very important scriptural truths here that if we apply will help us in our Christian life. So we're going to look at two verses here, 1 Corinthians chapter four, uh, 14. We're going to look at verse uh, 33, and we're going to look at verse 40. All right, so if you find your place, stand with me together here as we read uh, these couple verses here. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning in verse 33. Uh, notice what the Bible says. It says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. And then look down in verse 40. We see this. Uh, Brother John, help me out here. i got a ring or something going on. Something's uh, sounding funky. Verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. Let all things be done decently and in order. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. I pray you'd speak to us, God. Help us, Lord, as we dive into your word. Lord, learn some principles, God, that you've given, that you've established, that will help us, Lord, in our lives, uh, Lord, to be the most effective, uh, Lord, so that we can uh, uh, be what you'd have for us to be and accomplish what you'd have for us to accomplish. Bless us, we pray, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Organizing your life, all right? Now, folks, let me just say this. In our lives as Christians, God wants for us to be productive, okay? Be productive. And uh, now that that translates into every facet of life. Uh, that goes from our everyday life with our families and with our jobs and those types of things. But that also is true when it comes to our spiritual lives, okay? Now, listen, truth be told, we all have, that. there's one area that we all have, uh, uh, we're all on the same ground on, and that is when it comes to time. Time is the great equalizer, okay? It doesn't matter what your social status is. doesn't matter how much, uh, you know, money you have, don't have. It all comes down to everybody has the same amount of time. It's amazing to me is that some people can get way more things done than other people. And truth be told, when it comes down to it, it's a matter of how you order your life, all right? And uh, here's my goal, all right, when it comes to my Christian life and when it comes to the life God's gifted me with on this earth. I don't want to just exist through life. I want to live life. Amen? I don't want to just exist. Too many people are just existing. God never intended for us to live that way. God wants for us to live every day to the fullest. Amen? Now, I understand the 
our life on earth is temporal, and we're only going to be here so many years before we go into eternity. But here's the thing. That even ought to make us want to even more live every single day and experience all the things God has for us to experience. And folks, let me just say this. Life lived the way God intended for us to live is a good life. I understand there's problems, heartaches, trials, sorrows. Okay, we get all that. That's part of it. But even the process of all that, you can still uh, live through life and not just exist. Now, if you understand the context here of these verses, uh, these were, of course, written to the church of Corinth. And the church of Corinth was a pretty messed up church, okay? Uh, they, They had some problems. They had some issues. There was all kinds of things going on. And here's one of the things going on here in the church of Corinth was that their public services had turned into chaos. If you'd walked into one of the public services here uh, in the church of Corinth, you'd have thought these people were mentally deranged. I mean, people were standing up randomly, some praying, some singing, some quoting a psalm, some claiming to prophesy. Most of the time, there was one or more trying to do these things at the same time. You'd have heard people doing this in different languages, some in Greek, some in Hebrew, some in Latin. Others were singing and praying in an unknown language. And what's Paul do? He rebukes the church, warning them that their services were not only failing to edify the brethren, but were turning away new visitors who might have needed Christ as their Savior. Could you imagine if uh, that was what would have happened here this morning? First of all, do you ever think the uh, visitors would even want to come here? Okay, we had some visitors this morning, and if that would have been the case, I mean, they probably wouldn't have even stayed through the service. Okay? I mean, the reason we can come to church and enjoy church and have things accomplished here is because there's order. Amen? And there's, uh, uh, things are done, uh, decently. Things are done with purpose behind it. Okay? Now, we need to take those things and translate that to our lives. Because the sad reality is that many Christians live their lives in a state of confusion and chaos. They're not the blessing that they ought to be to the brethren, and they're no example to the lost world. Okay? Now, folks, listen. If we can't get this thing figured out as Christians, why in the world will we expect the lost to have what we have or want what we have? Okay? And so there's a reason that God gives us these things. By the way, think about this for a Well, I'll get to that in a minute. I may get ahead of myself here. But I got a lot I'm trying to say in a short amount of time. All right? Let me give you a few principles about this. Number one is this. All right? All things should be done decently and in order. That's the first principle right there in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. By the way, this is a Bible command. All right? Let all things be done decently and in order. Now, this is an important umbrella principle that covers all of our lives. So that means this, all things. Okay? That refers to... What happens here, that refers to what happens at your home, what happens that you have control over, over at your job. I mean, every facet of life needs to be done decently and in order. By the way, that word decently, you know what it means? It means well-formed. It means this, it means a word that we get our English word decorated from. It means that things ought to be placed or done in such a way to where there is the proper order to that suits the eye, that's well-pleasing to the senses. I mean, think about it. What God is saying is what we do and how we do it should decorate our lives and the lives of those around us that we touch. In short, we should not just be right. Think about this. It should look right. Amen? And again, that's why uh, it's important that we pay attention to details. All right, by the way, God is a God of details. 
You don't think that's true? All right, if you follow the Bible reading plan in the, in the next couple months, you're going to be reading some books filled with details. Right? I mean, think about it, okay? When God gave the law, <clears throat> by the way, for, for the longest time, that was all the canon of Scripture they had was the law. All right? And part, the majority of that law didn't just consist of, you know, the creation story, the story of Abraham and those things, but consisted of minute details about how God wanted things done. They don't tell me God's not a God of details. He is a God of details. And by the way, you go back and read that. You go back and read there when God gave the instruction about the tabernacle. All right? We think our building looks nice. I'm going to tell you something. That tabernacle was a sight to behold. Amen? And that was just the, the temporary until the temple came. And then the temple even upped it more. All right? And, and, and all that was done uh, for a certain way, and it was all done on purpose. It was arranged. It was in succession. It looked right. It was sensible. It was efficient. Amen? And folks, let me just say this. The things that we do ought to follow a logical and predictive pattern. By the way, you know what this does? It increases our productivity and eliminates confusion. Amen? Now listen to me, folks. God always does everything right. God always does everything on time. God's way is the perfect and best way. Now remember this. As Christians, or or as human beings, I I would say this, and even as Christians, but uh, as human beings, we're made in the image of who, church? The image of God. So if God is a certain way, you know what we ought to be? We ought to be like Him. Now, that even translates even further to those that are saved. Amen. He's our heavenly Father. And we're, the ultimate goal in life is to be like Jesus Christ. Amen. And I can tell you right now, all right, the heaven's not out of order. In fact, one time when heaven got out of order, God fixed it real quick. Right? The only time in history heaven was out of order, when Lucifer tried to step out of order... And God showed him real quick, uh-uh, doesn't happen here. I'm a God of order. You're out of here. Amen? Because God is a God of order. All right? Now, all that to say, the things we do on life should be done decently and in order. By the way, parents, these are things that you need to, number one, exemplify in your home, and then number two, uh, teach your children to do in your home. Now, I'm not saying your home needs to be a museum, okay? Homes are made to be lived in, okay? All right, you come to our house, our house is lived in, but I will say this, even though our house is lived in, it's done decently and in order. By the way, I thank God for a wife uh, who has that figured out, amen, and I appreciate that about her. I'm thankful that she's teaching our daughters that exact same thing, and you know what, these are things that as parents, especially mothers, ought to be teaching their daughters. By the way, all right, okay, y'all ready for this? Put your seatbelt on for a minute, okay? And it's okay, amen, we don't get uh, politically correct around here. You know what the Bible says, that as a lady, especially when you have children in the home, the number one job you have is to be a keeper of the home. That don't get preached on nowadays, does it? Because too, too many preachers don't have a backbone and they're afraid to say what the Bible says. Amen? Now, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm particularly talking about when your children are young, when they're at home, okay? You need to be there to take care of your children. And by the way, that's not a demotion. No way. Amen? That's what the world teaches. Okay? Now, you know, if you don't have some degree in this and that, then, then, you know, everybody else is up here and you're down here. Well, that's not what God says. Now, ladies, I'm not saying sometimes there's certain situations that you get thrust into because of circumstances. Okay, you gotta be out of the home. 
But if you have a husband who's taking care of you, listen, you ought to be in the home, and you ought to be, especially when your children are young, amen? Teaching those, those children, raising those children. It's not the daycare's job to raise your children. It's not, hey, it's not grandma and grandpa's job to raise your children. It's not, amen? It is your job as parents to raise your children. Okay, and what you're doing by being there, you're you're creating a, an environment where things are done decently and in order. Amen. Number two, here's a Bible statement it goes right along with what we're saying tonight. God is not the author of confusion. By the way, by default, if God is not the author of confusion, who's the author of confusion? There you go. Amen. All right, help me out of here a little bit tonight, all right? We're all, y'all good, okay? Everybody, everybody doing all right? Amen? Okay? All right. God is not the author of confusion, so that means Satan is the author of confusion. Now that title here translated God. That's why I love studying the meaning of words, okay? Because God uses different words that in English are translated the same, but if you go look at the root word, they mean something different here. The title translated for God here is this. It's theos. It means the supreme divine magistrate. That's what it means. And by the way, what is a magistrate? A magistrate is a ruler, and one whose job is to dictate and to order. And the Bible tells us here that God, as the supreme leader, okay, He does not allow or encourage chaos. Okay, to the contrary, He brings order to where there is chaos. Amen? That's who God is. He is not the author of confusion. That word confusion, it means disorder, commotion, uh, 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 confusion, uh, tumult, all right? And listen, if those things exist, God's not the one who authored it. Which brings us... To the question, again, if God's not the author of confusion, who is? Right, there you go. Thanks, Brother Billy. Amen. I'm glad somebody's awake out there tonight, all right? So if there's confusion, Satan's fingerprints are on it. Amen? Not God. And again, folks, that's why when it comes to every divine institution God established, okay, the first uh, divine institution God established was the home. The home is set up in such a way to where it should function with order. Okay? What is God's divine plan for the home? All right? It is God as the leader. Of course, He's the leader of every facet of life. All right? Then it's the husband. Then it's the wife. Then it's the children. It's the divine order of how things are supposed to operate. And you know what happens? Man thinks they know better than God. And again, uh, uh, if there's confusion in the home, who's planted that seed? Who's planted that idea? It's the devil. And things get all out of whack. And you know what? Truth be told, that's why homes are in disarray in the day and age we're living in. Because you know why? It's not in God's proper order. All right? And that translates into every area of life. The next institution God established was government. God established human government. Okay, do we even need to go there tonight? Amen? And figure out all the mess that is? Okay, why is that? Because Satan's got his fingerprints in there. By the way, I don't think he's just got his fingerprints in there. I think he's living there. Amen? He's got, I mean, he is all about that kind of stuff. And then, of course, the church. Amen? The church needs to be, operate within God's rules of order so that the church can be efficient and accomplish the cause of Jesus Christ. By the way, let's think about this for a minute. And this is a sad reality. We all know of or been involved in churches that are, are totally opposite. Uh, by the way, not only is it not a place of order, it's a place of chaos, it's a place of, of turmoil, it's a place of not help but hurt. 
That is not what the church of Jesus Christ ought to be. Amen? Listen, again, how do we keep it that way? By following God's order. And part of my job as the pastor is to make sure it operates within God's order. Amen? And that's what we're going to do. You know what? Praise God. You all have that figured out. And I pray that you always have that figured out. But for some ever reason, if you don't think you do got it figured out, I'm here to remind you what it's going to be. Amen? All right? Because that's the way it's supposed to be. And by the way, let me tell you, the church and what's going on here, the work for eternity, is bigger than any one of us. More important than any one of us individually. It's about the eternal work of God. And I don't know about you, I like being involved in that. I like being a part of that. I like seeing God work. I like seeing God change lives. It's never going to happen if we step out of God's divine order for His church. Because God is not the God of confusion. The author of confusion. Number three, a lack of order robs us of peace. Notice what it says here in 1 Corinthians 14.33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. You know one of the casualties of a chaotic life uh, is that of peace. Now, I, listen, okay, everybody's got different personalities, okay? By nature, I am not super confrontational, okay? I would rather, you know, the old saying, I'm a lover, not a fighter, okay? I would rather try to uh, resolve a, 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 a solution through peace than I would conflict. Now, some people thrive on conflict. That's just not me. Now, sometimes I have to make myself be confrontational based upon uh, the job descriptions God's given me. But you know what? I don't know about y'all. I like peace. Okay? I like being at peace with my wife. I like being at peace with my kids. I like being at peace with those relationships God gives me in my life. In fact, you know what? If, if I sense that a relationship is out of whack, you know what? i got to get that thing fixed. I can't even hardly go to bed very well with knowing that there's conflict that can be resolved that's not resolved. Okay? And so, folks, listen to me. One of the casualties of a chaotic life is, is peace. Disorder produces frustration and failure. By the way, both are the, en- the enemy of mental and emotional peace. Do you realize mental Stress, if you call it, the world's got all kinds of names for it. But mental health is such a huge thing in the day and age we're living in. People mentally are a mess. Okay, that is a tactic of the enemy, by the way. Messes with people's minds. All right, I'm going to teach you as a Christian. We're not going to get to it tonight, but I'm going to teach you as a Christian how to make sure that you emotionally and mentally can be in the right place. And function the way God created for you to function. Again, folks, listen to me. Satan wants to mess all that up. He wants to get in there. He wants to, and by the way, he's so sly at how he does it. He's so subtle at how he does it. And if we're not careful, we fall for that and we fall into that same trap that everybody else falls into. And before long, we are a mental, emotional mess. By the way, when you're mentally and emotionally messed up, you accomplish nothing for the cause of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Okay, and literally what the enemy's done, he's rendered you useless. Right? You become neutral. You don't accomplish much. And the devil can't take your soul to hell, but he sure can make it to the point where you don't do anything for God, and he'll take what he can get. Amen? And I don't want to be that in my life. Now, let me show you real quick here the last few minutes. Jesus' example and the power of order. Okay? Now, when Jesus was here and walked this earth, he was here for 33 and a half years. He had three and a half years of ministry. I always think about this. Jesus Christ accomplished in three and a half years things that most people couldn't accomplish in three lifetimes. 
And by the way, you know what? I understand he uses some of his divine power to do it, okay? But you know a lot of it, though? He didn't, you know, when Jesus came to this earth, let me say this, he never laid aside his divinity. Okay, he never did that. I've heard some people say that. I I think they speak ignorantly. But they say, you know, uh, Jesus laid aside his divine nature to come to earth. No, he didn't. He was still as much God on earth as he was in heaven. What he laid aside was his heavenly position. Okay? And he took upon himself the form of the Son of Man. But he was just as much God, okay, when he was here as he was there, just in a different form. Okay, but he was still God. Okay? But Jesus, the reason he accomplished so much is because when he walked this earth, he walked this earth purposefully and powerfully. Just like I preached this morning. Power. He lived with the power of God. And the power of God flowed through him and he accomplished so much. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says this in Acts chapter 10 verse 38, he went about doing good. I'm going to tell you something. When Jesus Christ was in a place, people knew it. There was something different when Jesus was there. By the way, that's why, just again, like I preached this morning, something ought to be different in our lives when Jesus is here. Because we're, we're, we're new. I mean, Jesus can't help but affect everything He touches or everything He's a part of. Now listen, if he, if he found someone broken, He healed them. If they were hungry, He fed them. If they were wrong, He corrected them. If they were weeping, He comforted them. And as the, as the world whirls its chaos, the Prince of Peace brings order and meaning with His influence. Now again, He still wants to do that today. But let me ask you a question. Is He physically here today to do it? Yes or no? Not a trick question. Is He physically here today? Yes or no? No. But He still wants to do those things. Guess who He wants to do them through? In fact, He even said, when He goes back to heaven, we would do greater works than He did. Think about that. Because you know why? We have the Holy Spirit of God in us, which He had in Him, and even though Jesus went about healing people and, 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 and doing the things He did, think about this, even people that He raised from the dead still died again. Right? But you know what He gives us the power to do? The power to affect people eternally. And yes, He did that as well. But you know what? We have, most people have, most Christians have a longer period to do that than He did when He was here. Because He was only here for three and a half years of ministry. Okay, so all that to say, Jesus Christ still wants to bring peace to this chaotic world, but He's going to work through His people. That's His plan for the church age. That's His plan. All right, when He ascended back to heaven, He then handed the baton to us and said, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to give you the power to do it, but you got to go out and do it. And guess what? The, the plan hasn't changed just because the year says 2022. Amen. Still the same. Amen. Now let's look at his life for a few moments and see what he did. All right? Go to Matthew chapter 14. The first thing, the example of this we see is the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew chapter 14, and this is given to us also in the Gospel of Mark, but we'll go to Matthew chapter 14. By the way, the Bible says here that when he fed these people, he fed 5,000 men. So, that being said, there weren't just men present, okay, because multitudes followed Christ. Uh, there were women, there were children, but examples of that all throughout the Gospels. So truth be told, if most men had a wife and there were children present, there was anywhere between fifteen and 20,000 people present. Okay, you think that's a lot of people. Fifteen. I mean, 
I guess maybe the only time maybe we've seen a crowd that big, all right, one time I, I went to a football game, and there was probably a crowd of 50,000 people there in the whole place. I mean, it's, it's hard to even fathom that amount of people in one spot, okay? So here you have 15,000 15, plus people that Jesus is somehow going to feed. Now listen, folks, I know how crazy it gets around here when 80 of us try to eat, all right? Okay, could you imagine 15,000? Man, that's going to be chaos. No, it wasn't. Nope. Look what it says here, Matthew chapter 14. Begin reading verse 15. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves uh, victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart, give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. And note, here we go, you ready? And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude, and they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the fragments that remained, twelve baskets full, and they that had eaten were about five thousand men beside women and children. Now in the book of Mark, the Bible tells us that he commanded them to sit down by companies. Okay, so here's what you have. Twenty thousand people needed to eat. So Jesus, here's what he said. He says, all right, and by the way, notice the delegated authority he used here. He had the disciples then help the people sit down in an orderly way, and then he gave to the disciples, who in turn gave to the people, and you know what? In a short amount of time, because they were organized, because there was order to it, guess what? 20,000 plus people got fed in a short amount of time. You know what that shows us, folks? Many, many things it shows us. First of all, the power of order. The power of things being done in a certain way, following a plan, okay? I mean, come on, when we get ready to go out here and build this building and, and, and the Lord allows us to finally give us the green light and we start, I'm going to tell you right now, there'll be a plan to how that happens. We're not just going to go out there and start throwing two-befores around, okay? We're not just going to go out there and I'll show up and, and you know, run around and, and do one thing and then do another thing. No, it's going to be an order. It's going to be a plan. And because it's going to be ordered and planned... Guess what? It's going to happen in a fairly short amount of time. Okay, this project right here was a perfect example of that. Okay? I mean, literally, folks, what we did, if you include the seven hours we worked on Sunday, okay, and then throughout the week, couple hours in the evening, we had folks come in, and then the time we spent doing the flooring work on Thursday, I mean, not total man hours, but just total hours at a time, we may have had 35-plus hours in that project. And we accomplished something in a short amount of time because there was order to it, plan to it, okay? And the feeding of the 5,000 proves to us that Jesus had a plan for the things that he did, okay? And again, it was organized. It was done a right way. It was done a certain way, and great things happened. Go to Matthew chapter 8. Here's another uh, illustration of this. Matthew chapter 8, a couple pages back. And we see another place where Jesus brought... Uh, Order to chaos. Verse 23 through 27. This, of course, is when Jesus sends the disciples here onto the, uh, onto the boat and that, uh, sends them across the sea. Beginning in verse 23, when he entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. I love that verse. Amen? That just shows you God's not worried about the things we're concerned about. In fact, God doesn't worry about anything, okay? All right? And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose, rebuked the winds and the sea, 
and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What made our man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? I mean, come on, a big storm caused chaos upon the sea where Jesus and his disciples were. The disciples began to panic. The disciples began to freak out, have an emotional meltdown. Okay, not Jesus. He calmly rises, rebukes the wind, rebukes the sea. And once where there was chaos, there was now calm. Once where there was disorder, fear, confusion, there is now order, peace, and a common life. I mean, so many truths can be pulled from that story. But folks, listen to me. That, you know what that means? Is that through the storms of life, and that when the winds blow, the tempests are blowing, you know what? Jesus has it, amen? He's not concerned about it whatsoever. Trust in Him. By the way, was Jesus with His disciples on that boat? Yes or no? Yes. Yep. Is Jesus with us when we go through our storm? Yes or no? Yes. Okay? So listen, He's got it, Amen? So just you need to learn to trust in Him and need to uh, understand that He's got all the power He needs to do whatever He wants. Okay? By the way, had it been His will for that boat to capsize, you think anybody would have died? No, of course not. Okay? If that had been His will, maybe He would have made them, you know, all walk on the sea to shore. I don't know what He would have done. But listen, all that to say is this. If Jesus Christ is with you, and if you're saved, He's with you, you have nothing to fear. And by the way, when it's our time, that means that's within God's will. And you know what? If you're within the will of God and He says it's time, then it's time anyway. Amen? And again, even through that, you can trust Him. So Jesus calmed the raging sea. And the last thing we see here, go to Luke chapter 10. We'll close with this, Luke chapter 10. Again, we see a mass organizational effort here, and a lot of things were accomplished. Now, for sake of time, <clears throat> I'm not going to read all the verses but we'll read a couple of them. Let's look at the first, uh, the first, uh, the first verse. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 1. And after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. So it wasn't just Jesus and His 12 disciples. There were other people that followed Christ, okay, that went with Him. Now, uh, we, we see in other passages that some of these were fair-weather disciples. And they weren't in it for the long haul. They were in it for some of it, but then when things started getting hard, you know what, they bailed. Okay, and it says here, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. And then he went through and uh, gave them the, uh, the, 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 the pep talk, if you will, on what they were to do, how they were to do it. Okay, and then skip down here, if you will, down to verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. I want you to think about this. This is very interesting here. Again, it shows us a plan and how the church is supposed to operate with an order and with training. Jesus trains His 12 core disciples. Then He pours His life into these other 70. And when He feels they're ready, here's the plan. He pairs them off two by two, sends them out to preach the kingdom of God. Altogether, He sends out 41 pairs of trained and prepared men in the first mass evangelistic outreach of the New Testament age. By the way, this was a plan conceived by Christ. The men were properly trained. They were prepared. They were instructed. By the way, those instructions were specific and precise. It's all given to us there in verses 2 through 16. And guess what? It was a success. And by the way, th th look at what they said in verse 17. Lord, even the devils are subject to us through thy name. They were doing the things Jesus was doing. And in the process, preaching the gospel to those people. Amen? You know why? 
Because it was organized. Because it was precise. You know why some of you are here tonight? It's because of an organized plan to do, very similar situation, what Jesus did here. Organized plan. Okay? Denny and Laurel, they're here tonight. Because back in the spring, or fall, we had an organized plan on Saturday. We went out as families. We got the maps out. Okay, I showed you on the map where to go. We covered every street in the town of Owensville. They got a flyer in their door, and they're here because of a mass organization effort that was organized. People followed the plan, and it works. It works. Travis and Ashley were here this morning because of that exact same thing that happened in Patoka back in the fall. Okay, folks, listen. We're not just randomly doing stuff around here. We're following Bible patterns, Bible principles in a well-organized way, and it works. It works, amen? Because organization is God's way. Now, again, the Bible doesn't tell us all that Christ accomplished and, uh, uh, as far as when He was here. But listen to me. We are to follow His pattern, follow His steps, and you know what? Organize our lives with uh, the things that we, we see here, we're to order our time, order our space, order our mind, order our priorities, and order our future. And as God helps us organize our life, you're going to begin to see a level of productivity and success that has evaded you thus far if you haven't applied these principles. Amen? And so truth be told, folks, a lot of the things we're doing this year, you saw it on the calendar this morning, you know, isn't some, you know, we got to do some new things we're doing. But truth be told, it's tried and proven methods that work. Amen? And that's what we do. And you know what? God's blessing it. Amen? Now, you know what? Here's what I feel like. I feel like the more that we do, the more people that get involved, and the more organized we can be, the more we can accomplish, and the more God can do. Amen? But it's going to require what we've talked about tonight, things being done decently and in order. Now, Lord willing, not next week, Brother Williams will be here preaching, but the following week, I want to talk about, I'm going to get this, I'm going to break this thing down, and, and, and because here's the thing, all right? You're never going to get to this point in life if it doesn't start with you personally, okay? And I'm going to give you some Bible principles that will help you tremendously on how to order yourself, okay? And how to help your life and again, I'm not talking about cleaning the closet out, okay? Maybe you need to do that, all right? And some of these principles might roll over into some of that stuff. But I'm talking about more about yourself personally, okay? Your, 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 the, the man, the, the, the human being God made you into, like we talked about this morning, body, soul, and spirit, how to organize yourself in such a way to where you can maxim, uh, have the maximum amount of production in your Christian life that God wants for you to have. Amen? And so, Lord willing, two weeks from tonight, we'll get into that. Let's pray. Lord, we love you.